everyone. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Kay. In recent weeks, Chris and I have made a concerted effort to broaden the scope of what we talk about and how we talk about it. So on this episode, we really take a left turn as we're going to talk about our guilty pleasures. Even though we're all metalheads, we have some music we listen to outside the genre as well. Perhaps there's a song you feel nostalgia for because your parents played it a million times when you were young. Maybe you had an album as a kid before you got into heavier stuff. Maybe it's none of the above and you have a secret love for an album you'd never tell your friends about. Maybe we'll inspire you to let it out today as Kenneth and I discuss some of the music we love that's simply not metal. And once we're done talking about that, we'll give you our big four guilty pleasure songs. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. So Chris, uh, guilty pleasure songs. This is this is not a metal episode, per se. <laughs> well, it's kind of been a long time coming. We've talked about this, you know, pretty much for three years, where we just, you know, mention music that we don't listen or normally listen to or something like that and stuff we we grew up with we've told stories where you know people uh, one of my friends had a keyboard that uh played um what's that what's that song um wake me up before you go go that was the <laughs> song on it uh, you know things like that like you you end up attached to them because of those kind of circumstances like maybe that maybe that's not the song that one of my like biggest metalhead friends would normally listen to but he's got this attachment to it because of of you know it being on the keyboard he had when he was a kid so oh, yeah things yeah. like that you know i mean it's like you know you think back about when you were a kid you know i mean most people and I would say weren't listening to death metal when they were four years old, except maybe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it was, it was when I was pretty young, but like not, not at four years old. I mean, I was, I was still listening to pretty much anything my parents listened to at that point. I didn't I mean, really have, I mean, not just four years old, but you know, the, the, the single digit years. Right. You know, for me, and, and I've, I've mentioned this before on the show, you know, I'm a kid of the seventies. I was a teenager during the eighties and, you know, there was a period of time. I didn't have a lot of, it's, it's weird to say it this way. So you know, I didn't grow up with either one of my parents. I grew up with my grandparents. And so they were definitely from an older generation. And even though my aunt lived downstairs, she was still not, you know, uh, She's not a super hip person, I guess you want to put it that way. Um, my uncles were more hip than she was, but even in that regards, like you know, she listened to pop music for what it's worth in the '70s, so disco and and WABC, you know, radio in New York, like I, I mentioned before. And she wasn't a big FM radio listener. I, you know, and I knew nothing about FM till the early '80s. So it's one of those weird things. I didn't realize that there was something else that existed other than WABC and maybe uh, some talk radio on, on, a, on another AM station. Well, so, yeah, being from Texas, I mean, it was a, that's a whole different uh, ball game too. Like my parents a lot of times listen to country and I was never a country fan. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's stuff that was on pop radio that, were, that became hits in the 70s that, you know, 
it, it's total nostalgia. Like there was a song, you know, when when um, video games took off and Pac-Man, and this is this is probably early '80s, late, you know, uh, Pac-Man was a huge hit, and uh, so I'm basically early teenager at this point, or almost in my teens. Um, Pac-Man is a huge. So there's a song called Pac-Man Fever by Bruckner, I think it was a Buck, Buckner yeah. and Garcia. You know, there was um, uh, Rick D's a radio disc jockey out of LA. He had a big hit single with the song called Disco Duck. You know, and that was definitely in the seventies. And that was just shit like that is crazy. Like the other day, my wife and I were walking around a, a store. Um, I wanted, I'm trying to remember what store. Oh, we, we were walking around H E B supermarket here in, in in Texas, and they're playing '70s songs, and they were playing Elton John and Kiki D. Don't go breaking my heart. Uh, they were playing like Lou Rawls. Uh, they were. What was the other song I heard? It was just. It, it was so weird um, because it was just like all these songs took me back to when I was a little kid listening to that AM radio and whatever came on to that pop station. And by pop station, they still played, they played R and B, you know, seventies R and B, obviously they played some rock. They played, you know, disco, they played dance music. It was all, you know, just across the board, like a top 40 station, but it wasn't, it was not top 40 on FM. It was top 40 on AM. So mono, it went through your transistor radio. <laughs> Most people have no idea what the hell that is. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to each uh, talk about four uh, artists or, or albums that were particularly or are particularly a guilty pleasure, something that we can put on, enjoy, and listen to, um, but is definitely not on the the metal radar. So I'm going to go ahead and go first. and. Um, for me, so I have four different things here and I don't know which one to start with. So I'm going to go ahead and start with the one that probably is the most obscure of, of all the four that I have here. Um, so my, my guilty pleasure album, and we're talking about albums here is going to be, uh, an album called Valio La Pena from Mark Anthony. It came out in 2004. Now, for those of you out there listening who don't know who Mark Anthony is, he is a, a Latin music artist who does predominantly salsa music, uh, or as otherwise known as tropical music to some American people here. Um, and this is a Spanish language salsa album. He actually released two albums at the same time. One was a, um, for lack of a better term, pop Latin or Latin pop album. And he took eight of the same songs that were on there, actually seven, because one of them wasn't featured on the pop album. Um, but it's a, it's a, the eighth song is a, a traditional Puerto Rican song. Um, he took seven of those songs and converted them into a salsa version, which is pretty cool. Um, but they, so they're completely different in, in regards, but the melodies, uh, at the choruses and stuff like that are the same. So this album for me, um, holds a lot of, of, uh, not nostalgia. That's not the word I'm trying to get. It, it's near and dear to my heart because the song Valio La Pena, which is the first song on the album is, um, a song I dedicated to my wife, you know, Valio La Pena means, um, it was worth it. And in English. Right. So that song I dedicated to my wife and it's one of the few songs that I 
pretty much know completely in Spanish. Um, and for many people out there who don't realize this, I am um, of Puerto Rican heritage. I grew up in New York City. Well, not New York City, but I grew up near New York City um, in, a, in a Latin family. But we were not very Latinized, I guess if you could say, put it that way. Um, so it wasn't until I started dating my wife the first time way back in the middle to late nineties that I really began to embrace my, my roots and my heritage. And so, and I actually, that's also when I learned a little bit more Spanish because I grew up speaking some, but not a lot. And, uh, so this album and this, especially that song, the title track really means a lot to me. Um, but super cool album, the song, uh, the album actually features another song on it that, uh, Mark Anthony does is a duet with Jennifer Lopez. And at the time that they did the duet, he was not married to Jennifer Lopez. So he would, she would become his future wife. And, and now we all know that he, she is the ex-wife. So it's pretty interesting. And I, I think at that time there was a lot of rumors that they were, uh, they were bumping uglies and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, that's, that's my, uh, that's my first of my four, guilty pleasure albums okay i i'm not super familiar with mark anthony but um i obviously i do know him from you know the the media back then when around jennifer lopez he was also i mean he's a bit of an actor he was in man on fire which is i don't know if it's necessarily one of my favorite movies but it's definitely got to be in like the top 50 so love that movie um so interesting i that's a good choice um so let's see where do i start with this one um my first one is going to be the probably the closest to um you know rock and and metal which would be muse um their 2003 album absolution um one thing that's kind of interesting about the band is their lineup has never changed aside from some you know like the the touring musicians that play with them but as far as actual lineup of the band that never changed it in their history um so i would say for me uh, around college and you know just the girls that i was dating at the time kind of got me into uh muse and their their live performances are so cool they kind of teeter on the edge of like alternative rock hard rock uh while being a lot of synthy you know uh synth rock kind of stuff um and they're an English band. Um, I really like this album a lot. I think it's, it's honestly, for me, it's kind of a front-to-back album. I really don't skip anything on it. Um, I, I also kind of got into it because uh, the song Time Is Running Out appeared on, um, what was that show called? Entourage, which I was around that time I was into Entourage. Um, but yeah, the highlights for me on this album, time is running out Stockholm syndrome hysteria, which is, I think the song probably most people would know from the album. Um, it appeared like for, for my age group and when people were really getting into, to rock band or, or guitar hero, it appeared on one of those games and, you know, every party that I went to around this, this time period, like 2000, four 2005 2006 around there like somebody had a rock band you know so i heard that song a lot but uh blackout butterflies and hurricanes small print endlessly i mean that's almost the whole album that i'm saying is a highlight so i really like this you know i honestly i'm pretty sure i've heard 
Muse, but I couldn't pick it out, you know, out of a lineup. Like, yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's Muse. I have no idea. Like, I, I could not pick a Muse song out if, 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 if my life depended on it. I'd be, I, I I'd think, be dead. <laughs> I think if you heard them, you'd probably say, like, you know, they're fairly unique in their sound. Um, I mean, I'm sure I've heard some songs and I'm sure like if someone said, oh, that's music. I'm like, oh, okay. I've heard that song. Yeah. But, exactly. You know, but I've, I, you know, I don't listen to the buzz, uh, alternative rock radio here in Houston. Yeah. Um, I, I listen to mostly in the Eagle, which is a classic rock station and they don't play music from what I know. So, no, 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 no. and you know, I don't even listen to like any of the top 40 stations or any of the, like there's one station that plays like, you know, uh, 70s 80s 90s today whatever the hell you want to call it it, it they play everything and i i'm pretty sure a muse song is probably played once or twice on there and i probably still wouldn't know it <laughs> i can't even tell you if i've listened to the radio in 10 years i mean that's, <laughs> I, I listen to the radio when when i get in the car with my wife or when i get in the car in the morning the radio is on because my my phone doesn't immediately connect to my my uh my music player you know um app so it doesn't connect to spotify it doesn't connect to anything unless i connect it to directly to my carplay then it'll pick up but so usually you know the eagle is playing and um it's a morning show so they're they're pranking somebody at some point hardly hardly any music but yeah you get like one song and then five hours of commercials and then a prank and then (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah that that's uh my radio listening is very limited. So that's why I probably don't even like, I've never seriously, uh, pun intended looked into getting XM serious radio because I, I would rather listen to that. But you know, for the most part, my playlist has all the same shit I'm going to listen to on XM. So why bother? You know, it's true. I have my own XM on my Spotify <laughs> <laughs> and I pay for that. So what the hell? Okay. So, Number two for me, um, let's see, Adam, my, I'm going to go with uh, Johnny Cash and American Recordings, and that came out in 1994. Um, it was produced by Rick Rubin, and that's a big deal because at the time that American Recordings came out, um, and I'm sure you're pretty familiar with this too, uh, at the time it came out, Johnny Cash's career was pretty much done. and he got into a conversation somehow, some way Rick Rubin reached out to him. They, they connected and, you know, Johnny was telling Rick that, you know, the record companies didn't want to sign him anymore. They, they thought he was basically, you know, old generation, yesterday's news kind of music. And Rick turned around and says, I want to do a, a special project with you. And I, all I care about is you and the song. So Johnny decided, Hey, okay, you want me in the song. So, so he, he, he said, I'll just do me and the guitar and the song. And there's no accompaniment. There's no piano. There's no, uh, drums. There's no bass, no nothing. Just Johnny and his acoustic. Now, later on the series of American recording albums ended up expanding to include drums and stuff like that, but it was never like a whole band kind of thing. It was more like, simple accompaniment as opposed to, you know, we're going to make this the Johnny cash band, you know, it wasn't like that. American recordings. The first album that came out, um, is just absolutely awesome. When you think about it, an acoustic guitar 
and Johnny Cash's voice. I mean, so unique. Um, there's songs on there. The highlights of this album, uh, a song called Delia's Gone, which is actually a song that he, reco- he, he recorded in 1962. Uh, song 13, which was written by Glenn Danzig. We all know who he is. Um, the song, uh, The Beast in Me. Um, I forgot who wrote that song. And then Tennessee Stud, which was a, a, a country song that he um, that he covered. And those songs are awesome. Tennessee Stud is actually a live version recorded at the Viper Room, Johnny Depp's place in uh, Los Angeles. Nick Lowe was the uh, writer the of- The Beast in Me. I, I, and I knew, I kept thinking, because there was another song he did on that album with, uh, I believe it was Tom Waits. Or, or yeah. no, I'm sorry. Uh, he did Tom, do a song with Tom Oh, he Waits. did do But he also did a Loudon Wainwright song. And I, I think the Tom Waits song is an actual religious song. Um, and he also did one with Loudon Wainwright. Or not from Loudon Wainwright. Yeah, he did Down There by the Train <gasps> with Tom Waits and The Man Who Couldn't Cry with Loudon Wainwright third. Right. So this album is awesome. The, the whole premise of the series is amazing. Um, lot, you know, he did the song Hurt. Um, from from uh, Nine Inch Nails, he did a song um, "Rusty Cage" from Soundgarden. Um, One of my he, favorites that he did on was on the last American, which I think was American Six, was "Ain't No Grave." Uh, that that can hold this body down. Awesome song, and especially with his voice. Oh yeah, I mean it, the the whole series was amazing to the point where. Rick decided he wanted to do same, the same thing with another artist. He did it with Neil Diamond. And I like Neil Diamond's album too, because it's stripped down. It's just Neil's voice and an, an acoustic guitar. And it's fucking amazing. You yeah. know, that's, the, that's, the, I love that shit. You know, people are going to sit there and say, well, that's not metal, man. Let me tell you something. That is where the basis of metal begins right there. And when, when you listen to that shit, it is so, so basic. It is so cool. I mean, it, Johnny's voice is, is amazing. And it just, this album, I love it. Delia's Gone, the story behind Delia's Gone is hilarious. You know, he basically had a girlfriend, a wife that cheated on him. He went after her, shot her, got put in jail. And the 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 the, the ghost of Delia haunted him in jail. It's fucking cool ass lyrics. It's so, so cool. <laughs> I, I actually like Johnny Cash's voice as he got older. There's something just so like heavy not heavy like metal music heavy but like there's there's this emotion behind the way he sings as he gets older and and i just i i really enjoyed those those last albums you know um i would say i kind of went back and listened to it because johnny cash was one of my grandpa's uh favorites my dad liked him when he was growing up and you know i didn't get into him until i was older and then, you know, going back and listening to it, and I was just like, wow, you know, he really was a special musician. Oh, he was. I mean, he he had a very unique knack of delivering songs and, and singing. It's just very, very great artist. The the just to, to let everyone know, the American recording series began in 1994 and he released uh six albums actually seven if you include my mother's hymn book which is recorded under the same premise but it was all um uh christian hymnals type of thing so um you know american recordings american two unchained american three solitary man american four the man comes around my mother's hymn book american 500 highways 
and American Six, like you mentioned, Ain't No Grave. I I have, I believe, six of the seven or five of the seven of those albums. I mean, they're great. Uh, so if you have a chance and you kind of want to take a little bit of a left turn on the music that you like out there, give this shot, uh, th- give this uh, series a, a good listen to. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm not, I, like I said earlier, I'm not much of a country fan. Um, but I've come to respect like old outlaw country as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something really simple yet deep about it. And uh, some of these guys that, uh, you know, they sing about what they know, they sing from the heart, you know, and it's, it's really stripped down, you know, just, just a singer and instruments and not all this production and not all this, you know, amazing, um, you know, behind the studios stuff. It's like exactly like this, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and it's not even, yeah, exactly. And it's not even like this. I, I don't even put this in the country category because it doesn't really sound like country. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the outlaw country guys, as right. they get older, they, they, this is more along the lines of this kind of stuff they, they sing about. Right, just, right. You know, stuff that affects the common man. And I get it. Yeah, I mean, he did a, a I Won't Back Down from Tom Petty. Yeah. That's that a pretty cool version, too. You know, Bridge Over Troubled Water. You know, Personal Jesus from, from Depeche Mode. He does. That's a pretty interesting version. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Uh, what do you got for number two? So for my number two is the album that kind of inspired this um, is Fleetwood Mac uh, Rumors from 1977. Uh, this would be what, what they would consider their like classic lineup. I mean, Fleetwood Mac's gone through a lot of lineups, um, but this this was the album that really like made them blow up. You know, people knew who they were. They had you know started with Peter Green. They moved away from the bluesy sound and moved into kind of more of a pop, soft rock sound. Uh, they brought on Lindsey Buckingham and uh, Stevie Nicks. And then their second album with that lineup was this one, uh, Rumors. And man, it's just, it's really one of those albums that it's not just a great album, but there's an interesting story behind it. There was so much drama behind the scenes and people sleeping with each other and cheating on their their spouses. I mean, Christine McVie, uh, you know, and uh, and uh, John McVie were sleeping around on each other, and and Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham were together, but L- Stevie Nicks was having an affair with uh, Mick Fleetwood, and all this, you know, just serious drama behind the scenes that you wouldn't think would spur on such a classic album. But it did, you know, it, and this is one that, that it's, you know, multi-platinum, amazing album. Um, I would say kind of, again, it's a front to backer. Like for me, dreams, never going back again, uh, go your own way, the chain. And I don't want to know, or some of my favorite songs on the album, the chain is really cool track, but never going back again. Uh, if you, if you know, even a, a tidbit about guitar, um, you know, this is a crazy song. The the way it's played, um, you know, there's there's polyrhythms going on in the in the 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 guitar work and the way that Lindsay played, he he just had such an interesting 
you know, philosophy and how he played and, and how he uh, uh, played with his thumb and picked the uh, the other rhythm with his fingers while he's play- he's basically two- playing two rhythms at the same time. And a lot of guitarists find this, that song really hard to play. It's really interesting. So even like, you know, well-established guitarists love that song because it's so interesting and different. So, I, I mean, I, I know most people probably know this album, um, at least of a certain age. But if you don't, it's, it's one that's really a, a fantastic listen, and they're all really talented musicians. I, you know, I, I never got into Fleetwood Mac, and, and I've actually heard The Chain more now recently because The Eagle plays the shit it's out of that song. Rock, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I actually got into Fleetwood Mac through Tusk because Tusk was a big hit. Very simple song. Yeah. Um, With a, kind of a tribal sound. Yeah, it's very tribal. And I'm like, how is this a big hit? But even I was listening to it when I was a kid back then. Um, the best thing about this album, and, and you know, it's, it's a modern day meme now. You know, everyone talks about Taylor Swift and how she loves to write songs uh, about all her ex-boyfriends, right? The, the, the meme goes, you know, that, that Taylor Swift writes all, all these songs, right? So Stevie Nicks made her ex play guitar while she sang songs about what an asshole he was <laughs> yep. while they were playing it together. That's, that's you know, they say, that's badass, okay? <laughs> that's, that's Stevie Nicks for you, and, you know, and she was, uh, you know, making Lindsey Buckingham play these songs. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it really bums me out that he's not in, you know, in the band anymore. I, I really don't have a lot of interest in ever seeing them. Like, I don't know if they even play live anymore, but, um, you know, there was a time when they, when they reunited not too long ago and, uh, they, they basically said Lindsey wasn't welcome. And, you know, that sucks. Cause he, he's one of the most talented guys in the band. He wrote a lot of their, their biggest hits and it's kind of a bummer. So I don't know with the, like Christine McVie passed away a few years back. So I don't know if they play live anymore, but, um, apparently according to Wikipedia, they are still an active band. Um, Mick Fleetwood, John McVie and Stevie Nicks are part of the current band and taking, um, Lindsey Buckingham's place, and it's not necessarily in bed, but on stage, uh, is Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers. Don't they have two guitars though? Uh, there's a guy named Neil Finn. Yeah. Who's also in the band. Here, here's what's interesting about them. Whenever Lindsey's in the band, they only have one guitarist because he plays both parts. But when they, whenever he's not in the band, they ha- they have to have two guitars because nobody can do what he does. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah, I, I I like some of their stuff. Never really got into them that much. So I, um, I got in through, got into them mostly because of a live album called "The Dance" that my my mom had, and I I I did not like. Yeah, you know, I've never liked. Um, what's a song that Bill Clinton used? Uh, Go your own way. No, 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 no. No. Oh no! Don't stop. Sorry. Don't stop. Yeah. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. That song. I've never liked that song. So that was what I associated them with originally. And then my mom was like, no, they have these other songs. And, and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I like them, but I, I also got into them when I was like seven or eight years old, you know? So right. that's, that's one of those albums that you have that nostalgia for too. And, and don't stop is on this album, you know I mean? It is. Yeah. So and it's what, a classic song, but I, I personally don't like it that much. What's funny about it. Like, you know, when you look up an album on Wikipedia, 
you know, you get one or two songs that got links to them talking about, you know, like, like if they were singles and they get, they give you more details on that song. Yeah. Every song on this one, there's 11 songs. Everyone has a link. Yeah. It's, it's that classic of an album. Yeah. I mean, it would, how, how, um, like how many times did it go platinum? Uh, let's see. Certifications and sales in the United States. It is 21 times, 21 platinum. times. So it's a 21 million album sold. Yeah. So it's one of the biggest albums ever to, to, to come out. So that's a, that's pretty big. True. So, all right. Yeah. It's, it's huge. I mean, so 40 million worldwide. So that's a pretty big album. So what's your number three? All right. My number three, um, I'm going to go with, um, uh, John Mellencamp and the album Scarecrow. So I'm a big John Mellencamp fan. Um, you know, he's, he's not, he's a rocker, but he's, he's, he's like a country rocker. And that lends itself to the fact that I can't stand fucking country music. But there are some songs that really do attract me. Um, and that's that's one thing that I can say, you know, uh, for instance, this song is 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 gonna is not listed anywhere, you know, for me in, in on tonight's things. But um the first time I ever heard Garth Brooks, I heard the Thunder Rolls. And it was in a in a music class that I was taking in, in Miami Beach. We were it was a music business school. And we were trying to give examples of a certain type of song. And this kid comes up and he, you know, pops a cassette in the boom box and he plays, uh, and this is 1990, 1990. And so, yes, they were still have boom boxes. We still had cassettes pops this in. He plays the thunder rolls. Now I must tell you, I thought it was a rock band. I thought it was a hard rock band. Um, I didn't, I, I heard the country twang a little bit of, of Garth Brooks, but there, there was something more to the song. You know, there was a little bit of punch to it. Very, very cool song. So that's the kind of country I like if it's in that vein. John Mellencamp, however, is not in that vein. He's more of a rocker, but there's a very country, I guess, heartland of America kind of thing to him. Scarecrow is an amazing album. And I, I, I love Mellencamp to begin with, you know, from ever, ever since he released Jack and Diane. Um, but Scarecrow, that is one of my favorite songs by, oh, actually, let me, let me, let me say that again. Rain on the Scarecrow, the song that's on this album is my favorite John Mellencamp song. I love that song. Um, and it's, it's, it's all about how, uh, farmers were losing their farms. This is kind of one of the songs that led up to farm aid, I believe, okay. or, um, in the, in the middle eighties. Um, so they were, it was a song basically describing how farmers were part of the core of America and they were losing farms. They were, they weren't able to pay their bills. They were getting repoed from them and he's, he's lamenting his life in the middle of middle America and seeing his neighbors losing their farms and then his family losing a farm type of thing. And it's just such a cool, deep song. 
I, I it's one of my it's one of my all time favorite songs in general. But I, I love this song. The album itself has got Small Town, which was a big hit for him. A song called Lonely All Night, which was another big hit for him. And R.O.C.K. in the USA, another big hit. So it was an excellent album. And then just, it was it was in line. It was the third, you know, we did an episode months ago where we were talking about bands that had three consecutive albums that were just all killer. Well, Mellencamp falls into that same category when he put American Fool, Uh-Huh, and Scarecrow out. And then he topped it off with a fourth one, The Lonesome Jubilee. I mean, those all four of those albums were multi-platinum. I mean, American Fool, five million. Uh-huh, three million. Scarecrow, five million. Lonesome Jubilee, three million. That that's that's pretty much unheard of for that kind of music. And so it was it was pretty awesome. But I, you know, if you if you're if you know John Mellencamp, take a listen to this album because it's a really, really good album. Okay. I mean I've I've really only ever heard Small Town. I don't know a lot of his music. Um but yeah, like I, I I like the idea when music, I mean musicians sing about something real and something that affects people, and, and not not necessarily like protest music or you know things like that, but like things that people can relate to. I like that. So, um, okay, my number three is um, going back to kind of modern times. Uh, the 2008 album Day and Age from The Killers. Um, they're kind of a dance rock, new wave, synth pop band. Um, well, that's I, quite quite a mix right there. <laughs> oh yeah, I I got into them around this time, and um, I I'm not really into a lot of their modern stuff. I like their first four albums, I would say, uh, but this album I really enjoyed. Um, again, it's it's another one that I can put in, listen to from front to back. Um, you know, one thing is this band has had their same lineup for most of their career. And they've never replaced anyone, but so a couple guys have left and come back. Um, so for me, the highlights, I mean, I could really say the full album, but I would say Losing Touch, Human, Spaceman, A Dustland Fairy Tale, Neon Tiger, and The World We Live In. Um, one thing I really love about it is it, Brandon Flowers has an amazing voice um, and a very unique voice. Like I, I think a lot of people thought he was he was British because the 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 music that they write is it really kind of appeals to that that audience, like people that would say like the Beatles or um, you know the Strokes even or you know some of those bands that were coming out of like the new wave scene uh, at, or post post-punk scene even like maybe even depeche mode and that kind of stuff but um i just i found something in his voice that like every once in a while i'll hear somebody sing and i just go wow that person has just a natural talent but they've also honed it into something amazing um but yeah i i remember hearing this album the first or i think it was human the first time and i just immediately was attracted to it and um especially around this time period, I was, you know, 2008 was kind of towards the end of when I was in college and, uh, you know, some of the people that I was hanging around were into this kind of music. And, you know, I was always a metal head and I was kind of the odd man out where, you know, my, my friends that I was hanging out with most of the time were listening to 
you know, more of this kind of stuff or even like, you know, even softer stuffs. But I, 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 of all the things that my friends listened to, this was one that I, I really gravitated to. That's cool. I mean, I, I, again, not a band that I got much into. Um, I believe there's one, what's their biggest hit? Mr. Brightside. Mr. Brightside is their biggest hit. I think everybody's heard Mr. Brightside. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I've heard it. I, there's just one song from the killers. I've heard, I know I've heard that's like really big song. I guess that's it. But that's the only song I would know. And I don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, I, I think you probably have heard it at some point. Cause it's been on a, like a bunch of TV shows. Um, I mean, it, it's been on a lot of things, so I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I've heard it. I'm just, I, I don't know it by name. You know, it's one of those yeah. things where it's not a band I pay attention to. So like, sort of like the strokes. I mean, I don't pay a, a rat's ass attention to the strokes, although I should, you know, but sort of like the same thing. What's that band? that's like, uh, like Led Zeppelin. What is her name? Um, um, yeah, the one that's pretty much modern Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, they've they've kind of gone away from that too. But they they're uh they're a band that I'm supposed to listen to, and I just don't get into them as much. I, I, modern music for me, even rock bands, it just uh, it there's it's I don't know it's it's not attractive to me. I guess you could say, you know. So it takes a lot for me to get into it. And once I get into it, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it, but I haven't been able to really dive into any of these bands, you know? I, I again, I think it's one of those things like, because it, I was hanging around people that were listening to it. It, you know, initially I was like, man, I don't like this. This isn't my kind of thing. But then the more I listened to it, I was like, okay, it's not, it's not bad. <laughs> you know? And then even came to like some of these albums. So it just depends on the circumstances and who you're around at the time too. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So for me, number four, um, so this is, this is going to be direct to this one album that really spans a couple different genres, but same time, it's highlighting a particular period of time that is a completely different genre of music. All right. So my number four guilty pleasure album is the soundtrack to the movie Grease that came out in 1978. So most people out there know that the movie Grease is a, is a um, tribute to stuff, you know, from the 1950s. Um, as a kid that grew up in the seventies and, and, you know, was uh, came of age in the eighties, in the nostalgia for the fifties it was exactly that it was, you know, at this point you're 20 to 30 years away. And it's funny when you think about that, because if you look at today and you go back 20 to 30 years, you're in the nineties and it's like, what, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to comprehend that (laughs) it's the same time period distance from when I was a teenager to listening to fifties music and you know now listening to 90s music it's so weird to me it's it's really a mind fuck when you think about it <laughs> so um <laughs> growing up in this in the late 70s and early 80s um 50s music was considered oldies you know so just think about that you know now if you turn that around you say okay well all that really popular aerosmith shit that we listen to is all oldies 
in comparison. <laughs> Guns and Roses is oldies. I'm sure. I'm sure that a lot of the girls my age don't want to hear that uh, their in sync is is oldies. In <laughs> sync, new kids on the block is even older than the oldies. You know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Backstreet Boys oldies. You know, when you look at that, when you make that comparison, you know, it's crazy to think about. The difference is, and and I guess you could say for for there's a similarity because back in the fifties there were a lot of these doo-wop bands and for what it's worth, they're very comparable to what boy bands were like in the nineties. Yeah. They were appealing to, you know, young, young girls. girls basically. Yeah. Right. Singing love songs and, you know, singing about broken hearts and stuff like that. And it was just, is applied differently. Um, and, and one guy in the background going, we <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, I really, you know, that I, I, you know, for, for what it's worth, you know, the phrase, I grew up on that music. I really, really enjoy all fifties music. I mean, all the bands, all the songs, Jerry I Lee like Lewis. I up. It's, it's, it's fun. You know? Yeah. I mean, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, Fats Domino, uh, Chuck Berry. Ronnie and the Red Caps. You know, Ronnie and the Red Caps, <laughs> uh, uh, Dion. Uh, was it uh, Richie Valens, the big bopper, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Billy, what's his name? Is it Billy? It's, you're talking about, um, the one who died along with Richie Valens, Buddy, uh, oh, Buddy Holly in the Buddy cricket, Holly. you know, when you said those, Billy, it threw me up. I know. I, was, I, I, I knew it was with a B. <laughs> so anyhow, um, the movie Grease you know, was, is, is, is one, is a movie about that time period. And what's crazy to think about though, is that the music that was in the movie is not 50s style whatsoever. Um, but it was, it was more almost to a point disco-ish. Um, and it was, it was at the height of the disco era, uh, 1978 that, that this soundtrack album came out and, Quite honestly, I mean, this soundtrack album is really cool. The first two sides. So now I had the vinyl and I was looking for it tonight and I realized that I somewhere along the way in my life, I lost the vinyl um, for this album. Yeah. So it was a double album and sides one and two were, were predominantly most of the songs from the movie. And now let me, let me correct that. All the songs, the whole, all four sides, the whole album is from the movie. However, um, the, the first two sides are mostly the, the new songs that were written for the movie. And so they're more popular in terms of they were current at the time, 1978. Whereas side three was a side that was mostly Shanana. Um, now, for those people out there who don't know who Shanana is, Shanana was a 70s, 80s, probably even a 90s musical act that dedicated their look and style to those of the greasers from the fifties, sort of like the, the, uh, John Travolta look from Greece. That's the way that they presented themselves most of the time. And they sang all the old doo-wop songs. It was really, really cool stuff. And, and they had a guy named John Bowser Bonham, who was the main character for that band. And he was he was definitely a character. He, he was on all the TV shows. Uh, 
you know, he was the main guy when you heard about Shannon and his claim to fame was the fact that he would do like a, uh, almost like, you know, um, what's his name? Johnny, the, the cartoon character with the, with the pompadour, Johnny, kind Bravo. Of, Johnny Bravo. He was a skinny version of Johnny Bravo, but had the same hair and, but he would open his mouth as wide as you could do it for whatever reason. That was his shtick. Um, super cool guy. Um, Sean and I was real cool. So they had side three of the album. Um, and most of those songs, uh, it was uh, six of them. No, five of them. Excuse me. Those songs appeared during the dance off portion when, um, when in the movie Greece, where, uh, it was sort of like a, the Greece version of American bandstand. Um, and they had a dance off in the middle of the high school. And so Shauna Na was the band playing, um, the music in the background. So, I mean, when you think about this album, it had the, the song Greece, which was a big song for, for Frankie Valley at the time. Um, but then came, you know, summer nights, which was a big song. You're the one that I want, which is a big song for Olivia Newton, John and John Travolta. Uh, Grease lightning was a huge hit for John Travolta, you know, back in 1978. So it was a lot of the soundtrack was just so awesome. And the movie was great too. Cheesy, cheesy's all get out. But <laughs> in 1978, man, that was super cool. I mean, there's cheesier movies out there, but it was, it's one of these kind of feel good movies that, that, uh, you, you really enjoyed as a kid. Um, to hell, I had one of those books. Uh, I'm pretty sure you've had them. It's it's a, a a book that uses pics or clips from the movie as the pages. Oh yeah, I had those. Right, and then they and then they have the the what you know the the basically the the script is little bubbles of what they're talking. Yeah. Um, those actually got really big when I was a kid too, because they had versions that had a cassette tape with them and the, the, it would have somebody narrating it. And then it would ding a bell whenever you like needed to flip the page. And Oh and no, no, no. This wasn't like that. This was a, this was a, like a paperback book, like a legitimate paperback book. Yeah. And it had the whole movie. So it was probably like 200 pages. No, I know. But the, the, this was a smaller scale and it was, it was oh, usually okay. cartoons. Oh, like, no, this yeah. this was this was episodes of like Ninja Turtles, but it was this it was the same script, but it had like pictures and then a cassette tape that went with it. So it was it was the same thing, different different uh, approach. Yeah, yeah. This was this was stylized like if it was a comic, but it was used, instead of drawing comics, they took pics from the movie. Yep. So so great movie. You know the soundtrack was awesome. I'm I'm disturbed to have remembered and and I remember this from earlier this year or, or it was last year when I moved my records into my office. Um, and I discovered that I didn't have the soundtrack to Greece anymore. I was very upset. And this, I just remembered tonight. I'm like, shit, I don't have that. So that's something I'm going to have to look for when I go to uh half price books here in Houston to try and find cheap. But yeah, it's always a bummer when like something like that, especially when you're a collector now and you, you had it, but, you know, you don't have it anymore. Oh, yeah. I had, I know I had that. And I know I had, um, Saturday night fever. I believe I moved Saturday night fever to my living room where my record player's at my, my turntable. Um, but see, I'm a, I'm an old school. I said record player. <laughs> Most people <laughs> call it a turntable now. Um, 
my turntables out there um, when I play music, which is very rare, which is weird because most of my music listening is in my car. So, but yeah, I mean, if you like that, if you like that kind of music, fifties music, this is the side three is the best part of it. But um, if you like the movie Grease, this is an amazing album. My my sister got really into Grease at at one point. I think it was high school, and it it kind of had a resurgence. Like people were really getting into it again. And I just remember hearing that that album all the time. I mean, it was a it was like a truncated version of the album. I, don't, I think I think what happened is they re released the album in mm-hmm. um what year was it? Because it was um. Let's see. What years were you in high school? Uh, 2000 to 2004 or 2001 to 2004. Okay. I know the album. I remember what it looked like. It had like a green surround around it. And then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You said 2000, what year again? 2001 to 2004 was. When okay. I was in high school. And your sister was a little ahead of you or behind you. She's two years older than me. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, so around the time period that you went to high school, so probably, you know, junior high, high school, um, the album was released while you were in high school, re-released in September, 2003. It was released as a two CD, uh, digitally remastered deluxe edition. And it contained bonus tracks of the bonus tracks was one was like the mega single for, uh, for you're the one that I want, I think it was. And so that, or yeah, I think it was, you're the one I want. So that song, um, basically had a resurgence during that, that period of time you're talking about. And that's why the whole album had a resurgence and the whole movie had a resurgence. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like, yes, she and her friends were like super into it. I remember them even for some school day or something like that, dressing up, you know, as, as greasers and stuff like that. Like, you know, it all it all comes back around, doesn't it? You know, the kids now are dressing up like we did when we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jenkos. <laughs> yeah, I never wore those stupid jeans. <laughs> oh, I had a lot of friends that did. My parents wouldn't buy them for me, which I'm glad they did. <laughs> oh, you're so lucky, <laughs> so lucky. I I never the 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 only kind of style of 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 clothing that I ever had was I wore Edwin jeans when I was in college, um, that became the thing in the late eighties, early nineties and Z Cavaricis that became a thing at the end of the eighties. They were baggy, baggy pants, um, that came tapered all the way down to your ankles. Um, so it started, you know, tight waist and all of a sudden it was like, boom, it just super baggy, um, kind of pleated almost, you know, in the front for, for the way men's pants are pleated. And then it just like, super baggy and it came crashing down, you know, tapering down to your ankles. And I got into that for a while because I was trying to uh, assimilate sort of kind of like when you go to, when you move to a new country, you're supposed to uh, like, you know, learn the language. So I moved to Miami, which for the most part is another country in this, inside this country. (laughs) And uh, I tried to assimilate and that's just not who I was. And so when I, when I met my wife, uh, when we started dating the second time, I said to her, I said, are you okay with me just dressing like the way I want to dress? She's like, well, for the most part, you know, as long as you don't dress something stupid. So I said, well, I'm jeans. I'm a jeans and a t-shirt guy. She's like, okay, no problem. That's me. 
Yeah, I get that. I I, I can't really do <laughs> designer clothes. I've been dressed <laughs> in the same way since I was high school. Yeah. Maybe All a little right. nicer sometimes. <laughs> All right, so what do you got for your number four album? So for my last album for today, uh, I have a compilation. It's uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival Chronicle, the 20 Greatest Hits. Uh, this was released in 1976. So it's, you know, a lot of people know Creedence Clearwater and they know they, they have so many hits, obviously like these are 20, you know, greatest hits. Right. And the thing is that band really only existed from 1968 to 1972. It's insane to think of like the amount of hit songs they had in that short amount of time. Uh, they played together before that when they were younger, different variations, you know, different styles of music, um, you know, all the way back to 1959. But Creedence Clearwater officially formed in 1968, and that's when they, they started releasing this kind of music. Uh, for me, the highlights are Proud Mary, uh, Bad Moon Rising, Lodi. Uh, Fortunate Son, Traveling Band, Who'll Stop the Rain, Run Through the Jungle, Looking Out My Back Door, Have You Ever Seen the Rain, and Someday Never Comes. I mean, it's hard not to pick them all because, I, I mean, they're 20 amazing songs. But I, I, I specifically kind of gravitate towards the ones that they wrote, not necessarily the ones they did covers of. Um, I don't really know where my love of Creedence Clearwater came from. Um, I would say... I've seen them in so many different movies. Uh, like Fortunate Son is always associated with like war movies and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think just about everybody's heard "Looking Out My Back Door" at some point. Um, you know, "Have You Ever Seen the Rain" is a big hit. Um, "Proud Mary" has been covered multiple times by different artists. You know, "Bad Moon Rising" massive hit. Um, but John Fogarty has such a unique voice. It's so interesting to me that he's a guy from California who just adopted this style of singing like he's from Louisiana and about, you know, the 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 hard times that just everybody has, but his lyrics are always so relatable and um the music itself, especially for the time, you know, early 1970s, I mean late 60s, early 70s. I think it's timeless. I mean, it's just, I, I think that it fits in so many soundtracks. Um, it's music that if you listen to the lyrics, I think a lot of people can really relate to, you know, things just like not knowing what direction you're going in life, um, not feeling like things are out of control and they're out of your hands and, or just, you know, like the man isn't really looking out for you. I mean, things that are totally relatable today. So I, I mean, I, I've always loved Creedence Clearwater. I got my first uh, CD out of my parents' collection. They said I could have it, and I've never looked back. I like CCR. I've always liked CCR. So, you know, again, growing up as a kid in the '70s, you watch television, and back then they used to advertise. Uh, there used to be a uh, a company called Time Life. You know, Time Magazine, Life Magazine, they used to put out an audio series. And so they would do commercials for band, for bands like Credence, Clearwater Revival. Um, they would do it for Jim Croce. So they were they were advertising their greatest hits albums. And I think they were advertising this one. 
Um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, this came out in 76. So yeah, it, it probably was this album. And they would just, you know, you would have these two minute infomercials of this album. They play all the hits and man, you know, be, be, between seeing that and then all of a sudden, you know, getting listening to it on the radio because they played the shit out of it. You know, I, I, I knew who CCR was and I liked a lot of their songs. I like, you know, the same thing that you said, you know, Proud Mary, Bad Moon Rising, Lodi, uh, Traveling Band, Who'll Stop the Rain, Up Around the Bend, you know, Have You Ever Seen the Rain? All those are great songs, man. Those are cool songs. Yeah, it, again, it's just crazy to be that they were sh- together for such a short amount of time. I mean, apparently, you know, the the whole Cosmos Factory album is is on the greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much there's one two three four five six seven songs from cosmos factory is on this uh chronicle album and the album only had 11 <laughs> so there you go with that so that's a good album you know i wonder how many how many did that sell Let's see certifications four million it's quadruple platinum in the united states I mean, they're they're a great band, and I think again, somebody or a band that you know, so many people can relate to, just common people trying to live their lives. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, and John Fogerty, I mean, he he had hits after that as a solo artist. Yeah, his his history is really interesting because you know he he became the star of the band because he was he was the songwriter he was the musician of them and he had the voice and he i mean for the most part like if you if you really watch any documentaries about them or anything about their history like he got screwed over like the, everybody else came for him tried to get more money out of it wanted more um you know success out of the band wanted to start writing their own songs. And, and if you listen to that last album where they tried it, it's really not good. It's, it's, it's pretty genuinely awful. And, uh, then the record company really screwed him over too. And he had a lot of recovery to get back to where he was. Okay. You know, they, they wanted basically to take everything from him, music rights, etc., And, you know, he's he's done pretty well on his own. Unfortunately, like, he never patched things up with his brother. And uh, we'll never get to see uh, Creedence Clearwater again because of that really strained and bad relationship. But he continues to play the songs even today. And, you know, with his age, he still sounds great. So. Yeah, I mean... He he does he does still say I mean seventy eight years old, um, and it was announced earlier this year January twenty or January thirteenth that John had acquired the rights to the CCR Global Catalog after a fifty year battle or fifty year legal 50 battle fifty year and it's if you ever get the chance to watch like a, a short documentary on them or something I I totally recommend it it's a really interesting story and. Um, you know, kind of like a cautionary tale of if you're getting into the music industry, make sure to protect yourself. That's that is uh, absolutely the most uh, most honest thing that someone can can say is that if you're in the music industry, you have to protect yourself because there's no one that's going to protect you like yourself, and uh, you have to really have smart smart help. 
because man, uh, the first, the first thing they'll do is screw you over. If they, if they can figure out a way to get, you know, get a buck out of you, they will take it. So that is, that is crazy. Okay. Well, that brings us to our big four for tonight. Um, and that is going to be big four guilty pleasure songs. So we just talked about albums, but songs is different because there, there could be some, you know, one song off of an album that you don't really give a shit about the album, but the one song, maybe like a one hit wonder type thing is a really cool song. So, um, why don't you go ahead and go first on this one? Okay. Um, my number one, I just talked about the band, uh, Lodi off of, uh, or from Credence Clearwater revival. Um, just always really liked that song. It's, it's one of those that, uh, you know, about a guy feeling lost, you know, going out and trying to do something and, and getting stuck in a, a town he didn't belong in. And I think all of us can relate to that on some level. Maybe you have a job that you feel like you're, you're in a dead end situation or even, you know, even a relationship or something like that. And sometimes you just, you gotta be brave and get outside of it. Um, my number two, uh, I doubt anybody on here has probably ever heard of, uh, it's, it's a singer called Priscilla on, and she had a song called Red Cape. Um, ex-girlfriend of mine was really into uh, her as a singer. She has a beautiful voice. Um, and Red Cape was the song that inspired me to write a short story back when I was in college. And um, it, she just has one of these these voices that's just so pure and crystal clear. And it's a shame she's not bigger than she is as a musician. Um my number two is from the killers who I mentioned earlier, uh, Dustland fairy tale. Uh, that's a song about, you know, a, a man and a woman meeting each other and, uh, the, the, the trials that they go through, um, through their, their whole relationship and how it ends and, you know, the reaching, you know, a, a point where, you know, even though you may lose somebody as they get older, you still have those memories and you carry with them. And it's, it's just a, it's a really beautiful story. And, and Brandon flowers, like I said, his voice is just phenomenal. Um, and then my number one is hurt by Johnny cash. Um, that was a song that I think, you know, as a, as a metalhead, I think just about anybody here can get into, um, you know, Johnny was getting towards the end of his life, uh, sang a song by Nine Inch Nails. And, you know, you would think like, how does that work? But there's, it's so much better than the Nine Inch Nails version. His voice is just amazing. And if you watch the video and you see, you know, his life through the video and his, you know, his wife and, you know, basically at a moment towards the end of your life and you're you're kind of in in retrospect that's that's a heavy video to watch and uh it's just such a good song it's hard it's hard for me not to pick something off of uh you know those those americana albums but this was to me one of the best ones that that song is haunting it's so good yet so haunting uh and his voice is just like it's in, it's hard to describe how good it is 
and some people might say this it sounds terrible, but you, you, you have to really understand the whole vibe of it. And then you'll, it, it, it freaking can, that song and his version of it can really, really affect you emotionally. And that's a really cool song. And that's a really cool thing that can happen. I love that song. Agreed. All right. Well, my big four. So my big four <laughs> of guilty pleasure songs is all over the place. Um, and it's okay. It's tough to pick four songs that are not metal. That, that like that's that's a really wide category. <laughs> it is a wide category. But what's even funnier is like like uh, I could have easily gone a route that was more like pop rock. And mm-hmm. easily, like, like, uh, look, Pink Floyd is not metal. Okay, so I could easily have picked, you know, another brick in the wall from Pink Floyd because I love that song. Okay, but I didn't. Um, I could have picked. Yeah, that's why I talked to you. Like, how, what, what are the boundaries? Like, how far right. outside of metal are we, you know, sticking to? Because I could have, I could have picked something from Queen, like I mentioned earlier, right. but I didn't because you know it's right. so and- close. Exactly. You know, like it, it's one of those things where it's kind of like, uh, you, there's, it's so wide of, of, of a spectrum to pick from. So, you know, the, the four songs I picked are really wide ranged. <laughs> so, all right. So let me, let me start it here. Number four for me, bring the noise from public enemy. Um, and, it, and this was a song that was in my my catalog before Anthrax did their version of it. But it was really cool because I never really paid attention to the lyrics so much until later on. And now it's one of those songs where I know I know the lyrics all the way up until the first chorus. You know, I, I think I know like 90% of the lyrics and I can recite them. Um, but, you know, when Anthrax did their version of it, man, that, that just blew my mind. It's like, cause that was something that I had been looking for, like the perfect crossover between rap and metal, because I wanted, I liked the style of rap. Cause I, I grew up when I was there, when rap was born, I lived in New York. I, I was, I heard rappers delight playing on the radio all the time. I'm like, what is this? This is so cool. You know? But at the same time, it, w- it, it it did not become something that was like, oh, this is what I'm going to listen to all the time because ra- a rock for me took over. But I did grow up listening to, um, you know, uh, the, the Sugar Hill Gang. I did listen to, um, what was, was the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, LL Cool J, Curtis Blow, you know. Things like that. I mean, I, I spent my summers because that, that's all I could hear. That's all because I, when I went to summer camp, I didn't have an opportunity to crank a boombox and play, you know, Def Leppard, Kiss, and Judas Priest and all that shit that was going on at, at the early '80s. We were listening to stuff that was on the on top forty, it was dominating the radio airwaves, and that was all this new rap hip hop music that was out. So. Bring the noise came a little bit later, and that was that was a uh, what do you say? Uh, that was a changing of the guard. You know, it went from Run DMC to Public Enemy, and it was quite a big difference. And then eventually, all the gangster rap took over in, in from LA. So, 
That's my number four song. Okay. Good choice. My number three song, something you haven't heard, um, and something that a lot of my our, our listeners uh, have not heard. It's a song called Tu Muere Aquí. Um, and it, I'm saying it very, I, my accent's not the best, um, but um, when you say it fast, Tu Muere Aquí, that is how people understand the song. It's from a band called La Banda Gorda. And it's a merengue song from the Dominican Republic. It is the first merengue song that ever stuck in my mind. Um, and uh, it basically, tu aquí means you die here. Um, but it's a, it's a sexually oriented song. Um, so, and that's the way a lot of merengue from the Dominican Republic is. <laughs> it's, it's a ton, 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 ton of innuendo. Um, so, and it's the first um, merengue song that I recognized as soon as it came on. Like I, I, I would hear it played. I'm like, hey, I know that song. And then I would start, you know, like bopping my head to it and stuff like that. And and then I realized that is the song that I that I learned. The first, first, first song I ever recognized from the merengue style. Okay, uh, number two. And this is going in the complete opposite direction. Chuck Berry with his song, My Dingaling. <laughs> <laughs> so I heard this song in the probably late 70s, early 80s. Um, actually, probably early, more like the early 80s, right around when I got into ACDC. And I don't know why that, that connection's there, but it is. Um, and just listening to... Um, the lyrics to this song, it was so, you know, there's so much innuendo on it. It is, it is really, really funny. It was a, the version I heard is the most popular version out there, which is a live concert version. Um, and if you haven't heard it out there, I seriously think you need to pick it up and listen to it and understand that it is the, one of the craziest songs that, that people will all get along and sing along to when they, when they hear it live. So you were listening to My Dingling and Big Balls. Pretty much, yes. At around the yeah. same time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and um, and that same thing with that song, uh, you know, "Hello Mother, Hello Father." Here I am at Camp Granada. Yeah, you know, that 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 was just something I picked up on all around the same time. So, all right, and my number one song is a country song, um, and. It was a crossover country hit for um, most of America. So it was a big top 40 hit. It is The Devil Went Down to Georgia from the Charlie Daniels Band. Absolutely love this song. I know almost every single word to the song to this day. It, the song just does not drop from my memory. It is ingrained, ingrained. Although when it gets to the chorus that, 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 uh, that the young Johnny sings, some of those words I don't remember. But everything else solid as rock <laughs> okay. okay and and since this time two bands have done two metal bands loosely metal one was uh adrenaline mob so they're definitely metal they did a cover version of it really killer stuck to the the uh original format except they just metalized it and Nickelback did a version of this super, super cool version. They kind of, 
I, it's, I don't want to use the word funk guys, you know, the song, they, they didn't do a funky version of it, but they, they did a really cool way of presenting the song. And, and for those Chad Kroger fans out there, you know how he has a very unique staccato to his voice. He added that part to this, to this version of the song. So it's really, really cool. I like it. So anyway, Charlie Daniels band devil went down to Georgia. That is my number one guilty pleasure song. Okay. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Well, that's our big four guilty pleasure songs. And that brings a close to this week's episode of debating metal. Remember you can listen to us as often as you like by clicking like, or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debating at gmail.com. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment and ring that bell to be notified when we post a new episode. And remember to tune in to our next episode as we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya!